We waited for years for this. Today I'm talking about The Flash. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Hello, movie friends. Welcome to Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. I am Scott, and today I am talking about The Flash. And, of course, this is the one that kind of deemed the death knell of the pre-existing DC universe, perhaps minus a couple of casting choices before James Gunn officially got the reins. And, uh, yeah, there's so many questions I have. I mean, mostly I just get the feeling that this thing was a mess because it kept getting dissected and put back together over and over and over again for years as it attempted to get in line with the current trend of its era before just kind of limping into theaters with little to no fanfare. So yeah, that's what we're talking about today. It's not going to be a very negative review, but I think in that negativity there you can learn some things about why certain movies work, even just from a basic ground level. So without further ado, let's get started. There's part of me that wonders if any movie released after all of the starts, stops, and drama amidst the production would have satisfied folks looking forward to The Flash. Sure, the movie came out made that came out made almost no one happy, but would a B-minus effort have gotten the same reaction after all of the production delays and Ezra Miller arrests and allegations? It's an amusing what-if, or thought experiment, to think about. One that is infinitely more interesting than the end result of All That Waiting, which is, a, which is a giant fucking mess of a movie in the midst of an identity crisis. Nope, not that one, comic nerds. The film finds Barry Allen in a frustrating place. He feels like more of a cleanup crew than an actual member of the Justice League. He's always in trouble at his job because of his superhero work. And his father is still languishing in jail for a murder he didn't commit of Barry's mother. Which leads Barry to an intriguing question that was raised during the League's battle with Steppenwolf. What if he went back and fixed things, but by saving his mother's life in the past, Barry instead unmakes the reality he knew and has made the Earth vulnerable to attack. Now we'll have to work with his current self and a retired hero to track down Superman and save the wor world. So where to start with this one? Uh, I won't say that this movie is without a handful of fun moments and charms, so I'm going to address those first. And those are the Batman. <laughs> As much as the movies around him have eaten giant helpings of ass, Ben Affleck turns in his best performance as Batman and Bruce Wayne in this movie. The movie essentially asks him and Keaton's Batman to be the world-weary and more experienced voices of reason to Barry's impulsive urges. And that's right in Affleck's wheelhouse. He's really good at saying, take it from a guy who's thought too much about the past and stoically walking to his car. He also gets a solid action beat in the, op in the opening that is infinitely better than anything else the movie does with the Flash's power set. Likewise, Michael Keaton's Batman is just the right level of banter partner blended with high-flying badass that gets a number of highlight reel fight scenes. The movie rightly pits him as, a general un as generally uninterested in superheroics until it seems like he might actually be needed for one last ride, which means the movie can lean into a more comedic bent in the middle act. So where does it all go wrong? Well. I don't know where to start, so instead I'm going to go based on categories, and we're going to start with themes. Because what the fuck is this movie about? Based on the inspiration, the Flashpoints storyline in the comics, the entire movie should be about acceptance. Accepting that tragedy is a part of life, and even if you did have the ability to undo yours or live a different life, it could have rippling consequences you can't comprehend. 
Or as the Flash TV series show learned over and over again, stop messing around with time travel, Barry. Or the simplified version, damn it, Barry. So that's the baseline, in theory, of each act and scene, and each act and scene would build upon this idea. That's why the movie opens with Barry failing right, right? Or running into constant reminders of how much his mom still being in his life would mean to him. Well, no, not really. Most of the opening act is dedicated to an action scene that's mostly played for laughs, as Barry tries to get the food he needs to fuel his body and save an entire maternity ward at the same time, before he jets off to get his father to his father getting shot down in court again on appeal. The second act is the movie's strongest, as Barry has to work with a less responsible version of himself, which, though meant to be funny, is not really played for laughs as much as the physical comedy of this world, being Barry just being a fuck-up. And he has to figure out what went wrong and also find a way to unfuck the situation he just put the world in, because this world doesn't have a Superman and Zod's a Colin. It's also where the film's meta-jokes i.e. commenting on the new star of Back to the Future or Michael Keaton's Batman being an old man who's long retired, work best because it's all playing like a comedy of errors that Barry is trying to put right. This is also where the movie tries to blend with ideas about what being a hero is, for instance, making sacrifices to your own safety and happiness for the greater good, as he tries to get his younger, dumber self to realize that his powers come with responsibility and consequences. All before a big blowout where Barry needs to come face to face with his own bad decisions and make things right again. And they blow that too, so giant spoilers ahead. In the film's final act, Supergirl, Batman, and the two Barrys load up to challenge Zod and save the world. And they fail. But young Barry suggests going back over and over again, with the notion that he can fix it, when he obviously can't. It's an exaggerated version of Barry's earlier thinking. This is where Barry should push for acceptance and undo what he did for the sake of the world. To demonstrate the danger this poses to existence, we, for no reason at all, see a giant multiverse of possible heroes, including a Nick Cage Superman that was never made that's built around an in-joke from a Kevin Smith speaking special crashing into Adam West's Batman and Christopher Reeve's Superman, because I honestly don't know. It's all a CGI trash fire, but I'll get to that soon. Ultimately, Barry decides to make things make things right, and set th sets things back to the way they were, except for one little thing that will get his dad out of jail. Like, dude, the whole point of this is that you can't change anything and you decided to change something anyways, all of which leads to an apparent return to norms before another cameo and meta joke. Damn it, Barry, and damn it, movie. We've also got a parade of tones. Another problem this movie has has is that it cannot nail down a tone to save its life. One of the reasons the Flashpoint comic is so effective is that it takes a very silly world, specifically Barry Allen's comic book world, and turns it into a hellscape where war with no humans are involved is about to destroy everything. Barry's world in the comics is silly with twinges of melancholy and drama before he punches out Captain Cold and shit. Doesn't mean you can't have dramatic moments, but the general vibe is goofy. The first act has this idea down, with Barry bumbling through his life, even if I think his main action beat is dumb. Perpetual teenage energy coming off of him, which makes his decision feel appropriately impulsive and really makes his maturity compared to his alternate, alternate self stand out. Second act, you'd expect things to be really bad, right? Well, not really. Instead, the movie plays like a Back to the Future knockoff, which it cannot stop referencing, as Barry and Barry bounce around to meet Batman and free Supergirl, while Alt-Barry tries to learn how to use his powers. I'm not entirely against it, but it does nothing to set up the finale, which is the end of the goddamn world. 
Up until the third act, the world being, for all intents and purposes, under siege is basically background noise that only pops up once Batman and Supergirl need them to join the team, so all of this drama and death just shows up like a new writer took over the script to write the last stand fight, which is almost definitely what happened. It's also weird that this movie, despite its giant length, speeds past most of its most interesting ideas, like how this Barry does not like the, this alt alternate version of himself. It's heavily implied versus said, but I do like the idea that Barry realizes that the tragedy in his life made him, in his own way, much more responsible and competent than he would have been otherwise. It's a weird silver lining that the movie doesn't really address outside of individual scenes. These are the bits you need to make this feel like real people and characters versus a series of events. It's also how the final decision can feel monumental versus absolutely the thing you should have done in the first place when it was clear that everything was about to go wrong. And finally, we'll talk action. So you've probably seen a bunch of clips of this movie highlighting how the CGI looks like ass. Considering that this movie's budget was ginormous, why? My take versus that the effects people who are rarely well compensated or given the proper time to put things together are to blame is how this movie uses CGI. The contrast between one of Michael Keaton's Batman scenes versus the big opening scene are good examples. For Michael Keaton's Batman scenes, there's definitely CGI and fun camera work being used, but it has the baseline of grounding on a physical set and actors, with the CGI used as an enhancement to pull off something they can't do. For instance, you can't get an actual person to grapple and glide along the room. As much as people like, the like to emphasize physical sets, you don't actually need that to make your world look convincing, but you should attempt to blend things in. The opening flash action highlight misses the boat on this, because not only is everything CGI, it's also up close and tight so you can see every bit of jankiness to it. Which is kind of wild, because there are two examples, almost exactly like this, that either use the emphasis on physical sets or scale to their advantage. X-Men Days of Future Past and Spider-Man 3. The Quicksilver highlight scene in Days works as well as it does because they took the time to piece together a giant set that was specifically designed for this scene and use actors and props as the main physical benchmark, regardless of what else is happening in the scene. So even the CGI bullet ripples and mess all works because it looks like it's a reaction or at least related to the physical aspects and people. Whereas the Spider-Man 3 scene does its best to hide all of the CGI by moving the camera and avoiding close-ups minus a few highlight reel moments. Cut to the Flash, where even the babies and the main hero look completely unreal. And that's before we get to the neon nightmare of the Final Worlds Collide scene that may as well be wearing a sign that says, We hastily filmed this thing on a soundstage and dunked it in neon. Just baffling decision after baffling decision. In the end, you've got a movie that doesn't even know what it wants to be and is just not worth your time. Skip this one. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.